0: Good afternoon. Welcome to CMP213, uh, GPU, specifically G3 applications in media and entertainment workloads. My name is Osman Shakeel, and I'm the worldwide tech lead for media and entertainment for AWS. So, um, quick show of hands how many of you are here to hear about media and entertainment? Most of you, okay. What about GPUs? All of you, all right. That's cool. So, a quick kind of lay of the land here. Um, So, when the uh, GPU team actually came to me, and, you know, there's a lot of media and entertainment customers actually use um, GPUs in their uh, workflows, uh, both in content production and content distribution, or broadcast, if you will. So, we kind of thought of, you know, creating a session where, uh, you know, kind of give... Uh, an introduction to some of those workloads that actually use GPUs, right? What are, what are some of those, uh, those workloads? Now, as I'll talk about in this session, there's a whole bunch of stuff that actually can leverage or uh, does leverage uh, the GPUs, especially when they are available at scale, um, on a pay-as-you-go kind of a model. Um, but we, we kind of thought about it and uh, we picked specifically uh, two specific workloads. One in the content uh, production space, uh, more or less, um, and then the the second one in the broadcast space. Both of these workloads being traditionally very hard uh, workloads from a technology perspective to be able to you know run in a virtualized environment. And um, we, we're going to go uh, start with you know sort of say a level of introduction here um, and kind of. Go deep into each one of those workloads and talk about the business benefits as well as some of the challenges and the applications of the GPU specific those to those workloads. So with that, um, <clears throat> you know, as I said before, I'll talk about the G three instances first, and then uh, we will dive into two specific examples: one in broadcast video, so specifically channel playout in the cloud. And then a second one being remote video edits or um, NLE in the cloud. So AWS GPU offerings. Um, You know, AWS has been offering GPU type of instances for a while now, Uh, for those of you who remember. There was the very first uh, CG1 uh, instance type, the very first uh, GPU instance family, uh, followed up with, uh, you know, where we kind of Uh, forked it into two kind of pathways, one being the uh, graphics-specific instance type for graphics-specific applications, the other one being more compute-intensive, so hence the two kind of families, the G family and the P family. So we are at the third generation of the GPU type of instances, as you can see here from the annotations, the G3 and P3. So specifically, the G3 instances are... Um, kind of targeted for workloads that are specifically graphics applications. You know, graphics applications that require um, you know specific graphics uh, type of command set um, uh, to uh, like CUDA, OpenCL, OpenGL. Um, you know, to actually render uh, graphics on the screen. The second one uh, instance family we have is the p3 instances. Uh, these are these were just launched, I believe. Um, almost like a month ago now. Uh, They have the NVIDIA Tesla V100 GPUs, um, up to eight uh, of the latest generation NVIDIA Tesla GPUs per instance. Um, supports Open, OpenCL and CUDA, and really targeted towards machine learning, high performance database uh, type of transactional type of workloads. Now, there is another path that we kind of uh, went in that is more towards uh, sort of say very commoditized uh, type of uh, GPU applications, um, you know, like general purpose, if you will, that is the elastic GPUs. So we launched Elastic GPUs um, a little while ago. And specifically, what this gives you is this gives you the capability to be able to attach a GPU, a virtual GPU, to any EC2 instance. So very similar to, if you're familiar with the concept of, say, Elastic Block Store or EBS, where you can have an EC2 instance and attach an EBS volume to it. Very similar uh, kind of an idea where you can launch an EC2 instance and then you can attach an elastic GPU to it so that your um, OpenGL commands, if you will, are kind of routed over... um, a a GPU-based driver over to the virtual uh, GPU that the instance uh, has or is attached to. Now, each one of these can have uh, one, two, four, and eight uh, gigabytes per uh, elastic GPU uh, with respect to the memory, with respect to that uh, GPU. And as I said before, these are really targeted towards those um, you know, general-purpose type of applications where you don't necessarily require a whole lot of cores per se, but you can leverage uh, the graphics uh, for either a specific graphics type of application, like uh, streaming, for example. And we'll kind of deep uh, dive into that in a minute. So, taking a step back with respect to the media workloads, M&E workloads, um, we kind of define um, you know the complete glass-to-glass or end-to-end workflow. Uh, in this kind of uh, depiction, if you will, that you can see on the screen. And at the very high level, you can kind of divide it up into two, like there's the content production workflows, and then there is content delivery workflows. Um, on the content production side, you know, you're know you gonna see uh, content being uh, produced on set. Uh, that content needs to be acquired, whether that is file-based or, sort of say, live stream coming in. Uh, then once that content comes in, there's a whole lot of processing that goes uh, there. Well, first of all, before that, there is the storage of that content, right? That note, the content needs to be stored somewhere. There's a whole asset management system, and archival system on top of it. There is a VFX rendering specific workloads um, or, say, other post-production type of activities that work on that particular content. Then there is, uh, once the content is finalized, then there is an entire supply chain kind of a process that takes in those finalized assets and does a bunch of normalization to those assets for delivery into multiple different avenues. That delivery could be to um, you know other affiliates that are going to be uh, delivering that content over or streaming platforms. Uh, Or even in the case of publishing, you know, like digital properties and whatnot. And then finally, there is analytics, you know, because there's a whole lot of stuff that um, the content owners want to know how their content is being uh, consumed. And then on top of that, you know, we see the advent of um, artificial intelligence, deep learning on top of uh, media, right? So when it comes to media, you know, image recognition is very, uh, kind of, say, key in there. And how do you extract out additional metadata? So if you have more metadata, you can tag that a specific content or say assets, there is better chances or uh, for you to be able to monetize it, and then finally there is immersive experiences, right? So um, we are beyond say these uh, you know simple kind of say streaming over mobile devices or um, you know your traditional uh, TV signal. Rather, we're looking into VR, AR, and mixed reality type of uh, type of things. So this kind of uh, talks about you know, how we segment uh, different media workflows end-to-end, and obviously, you know, this is a very simplistic depiction. But for the purposes of it, right, if we talk about where is the actual application of the GPUs, it is specifically on the playout and distribution side, which is the actual broadcast, meaning, um, you know, how do you originate the actual uh, TV signal, you know, from, the cloud in this case that we're gonna talk about. Uh, so that's one particular workload that we've chosen uh, to talk about in this talk. The second one being immersive experiences. You know, There's a lot of encoding, transcoding, um, just-in-time packaging or encoding uh, live uh, type of scenarios. Uh, stitching in the case of VR, AR, and a lot of this, uh, uh, these workloads, like uh, within the supply chain or immersive experiences, require the GPU really from a high-performance perspective, perspective, right? Because um, if it is say live scenarios or high-performance transcodes or stitching for AR, VR, because you want to have that processing done super quick, then obviously we all know the application of GPUs in. Um, you know in ai deep learning i talked about the p3 instances and how uh, those are very relevant Um, And then there is post-production. You know, there is a lot of different workloads in post-production, specifically, say, your VFX rendering that can actually leverage the GPUs. Uh, The render engine can actually leverage uh, the GPUs for higher performance in addition to the actual core count. But in addition to that, um, you know, the key aspect there, one of the key workloads there is uh, remote application streaming. So, that's like one of the key, um, sort of say, workflows that our media and entertainment customers are looking at. Because if you look at it, once you move your content to the cloud, right, the key aspect is that you want to keep your content at one place. Because content files are very, very large, and you don't want to be in the business of moving the content back and forth. Rather, you want to move the processes very close, or your applications very close to that content. Now, some of those applications could be applications where there is a human intervention, like, say, editing some content or, uh, you know, checking the quality of that particular content, color correction, etc. just to kind of give you an idea. So there, you know, one of the ways to do that, rather than having to download that content to the human for, to do that manual work, rather than that, why don't we run that application in the cloud and just stream the pixels, right, and let the... Uh, end user be able to interface with this application, which is actually running in the cloud right next to your um, to your content, and that's the other uh, key. Um, workload uh, or application that we're going to be focusing in this session today. So just a quick bit of information about the GPU or the G3 instances that we're going to be talking about. So specifically the G3 instances family gives you up to four NVIDIA M60 GPUs. Those are um, grid virtual workstation uh, GPUs um, that includes the um, uh, workstation features and licenses. Um, Each one of those GPUs, um, each one of those instances can actually support up to four monitors with uh, uh, 4096 times 2160 resolution. So basically, if you look at most of the uh, production type of tasks, you know, where, say, a graphic artist is uh, either doing some CG work or an editor is editing some clips um, uh, or you know, running color correction, et cetera, uh, you know, that's, that's ample amount of resolution with up to four monitors that, that the G3 instances can support. Um, also supports hardware encoding, um, up to uh, 10 uh, H265 HEVC, 1080p, 30 streams per instance, and up to 18 um, H.264 uh, 1080p P30 streams per GPU. Um, these are specifically designed for workloads such as 3D rendering. So again, if you could have your 3D uh, your render engines that are actually spitting out these 3D frames or rendering those 3D frames, leverage the GPU power in addition to the cores within that instance. For 3D visualizations, as we will talk about in the case of remote application streaming, uh, graphic-intensive um, uh, remote workstations, you know, video encoding, and virtual reality applications like VR, etc., and also uh, broadcast, specifically for uh, real-time rendering. Um, these are available in three different uh, uh, sizes: the four extra large, the eight extra large, and sixteen extra large. That's really based on the number of GPUs as well as the uh, virtual CPUs and the memory. and uh, you know, the network bandwidth kind of varies with respect to each one of them. So, without a further ado, after this introduction, I'd like to uh, introduce um, uh, my friends from E-words, um Dan Turo and uh, Jeremy B- uh, Blythe, um, and they will talk about uh, the broadcast video application leveraging the GPU, uh, specifically G3 instances.
1: Dan?
2: Thanks, Wisman. So I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about how we're using a GPU in kind of I'd say linear uh, broadcast video applications. Uh, talk a lot about the graphics because it's a big, big focus for a lot of people today. Uh, we'll talk about kind of a playout system overview for a reference uh, customer that we'll we'll mention. We'll get into some of the challenges of doing these things in in, uh, in these instances and how a GPU architecture makes things a lot better. So I could probably spend hours talking to you about all the different scenarios that we handle in terms of lower thirds and bugs and eyeliners and DVE squeezes and cross-channel promotion. So rather than actually go through and talk through each example, I did up a little video that gives you just a flavor of how compute-intensive and how graphics-intensive some of these things are and all the different modes that we actually have to support. So I'll just... uh, Let this roll for about a minute or two and and let you kind of get a flavor for the kind of stuff that we do. Dark days of summer are here. It's an all week long family dive into the
3: world of these fantastic creatures. We're out here all the time. We've never seen it before. Goblin
2: sharks, alien sharks, hammerheads,
3: If I could build a custom truck or a custom dream truck, it would probably just be a rat rod of some sort. Low and slow is my way to go. I'm more about design and artistic fabrication, stuff like that. I figure if it's fast, I'm just going to get in trouble or I'm going to break it. If I could build a dream truck, I think it would have to be an old rat rod, maybe an old international.
1: vision for the future a world without accidents to get there we're advancing safe I have that experience she looked like me so let me let me yeah, put it I, it I true. like this relief on too I'm relaxing while they take this is what they do it may seem like a rowdy bunch but we love each other and I know they have my best interest at heart you know I like this this no, is no different <laughs>
2: Okay, so she really liked those graphics at the end, I guess. So the big thing that I actually wanted to talk a little bit about is, can you do this stuff? Can you do it in the cloud? And can you do it at scale? And I think one of our premier customers in this whole space who we started to work with probably about a year and a half, two years ago, is Discovery Communications. You'll notice a lot of those graphics actually in that lineup actually were for Discovery kind of product, TLC and stuff like that. So they deployed this, they deployed it at scale, Uh, and last month they announced that all their US domestic networks, all of them, have gone up from their on-premise solution to the the AWS public cloud. That is 50% of Discovery's uh, US revenue and a third of their global revenue. So having this capabilities, taking advantage of the GPUs is really, really important to them because it's a big portion of their business. So just a couple channels that we probably watch on a, on a regular basis, Discovery, TLC, Oprah Winfrey Network, Velocity, and Animal Planet. Those are all running on GPU instances in the AWS public cloud. And one big thing about the Velocity channel, actually, um, it's not only file-based playout. there's also live involved here as well. And I think the first live event that Discovery did with these instances was the Barrett Jackson auction, if you guys are familiar with it. It's an auction where they sell really expensive and antique cars and stuff like that. The first live event they did wasn't an hour, wasn't a three hour football game, it was 40 hours of live over a weekend. So hugely important for me being able to handle file based playout, but also live events with graphics overlays and insertions as well. So live plus files and graphics all in a single instance. There's a couple different ways people typically handle graphics. One of them is basically using After Effects and exporting out of After Effects fully baked lower thirds, which is a, a 32-bit video plus alpha lower third graphic or, or bug or whatever it is. Taking that, directly taking that and playing it out within the instance. And the key thing about it is it's extremely high resolution, extremely high bandwidth. Those, those eyeliners, for example, there are hundreds of megabits a second, probably some of them are 900 megabits a second in terms of video bandwidth that they actually have to pull off the desk run it through the GPU, and render it over top of the actual video itself. So that's one particular way people do this thing. The other is where you actually have these more complex things where you're squeezing the video, you're pulling in dynamic data sources for RSS feeds or weather information or news feeds and stuff like that. So that takes a little more templating a little more graphics capability. Uh, People do use a, a system to actually define basically a timeline of events that you, what do you want to do with the graphics over time? And then defining dynamic data links in this templating tool to deliver the look and feel that you want. And even embedding scripting. So if you actually want to make intelligent decisions about what's coming in and changing what you actually want to present on screen, there's scripting engines and all this kind of stuff embedded right into this templating tool that then gets transferred to the GPU and then rendered out real time. And just another example, it's not just a single DVE squeeze, it's dual DVE squeezes again, which takes more GPU, more compute resources with these high bandwidth, full bit rate resolution animations on the back end. So why spend so much time on graphics and and, and how we utilize this GPU? They don't do it just for fun. This is all about viewer retention for our customers. It's about making sure that people stay tuned to the program, stay tuned to the same channel, and stay tuned to channels within the same company or the same family. So in-channel and cross-channel promotion, that's why we spend so much time on graphics. That's why we use these GPUs the way we do. It's all about viewer retention and ratings. Just in terms of a high-level architecture, um, you have cloud compute. You have to connect to the cloud compute some way and then there's an on-premise footprint, mostly for control and monitoring more than anything else. And the applications that we actually provide are Mediator X is our, our media asset management and automation solution. The Overture Live is this integrated entity that does the file-based playout, does the live handling, does overlays and the graphics itself that's running up in the cloud. The IPX does routing and, and network address translation to get live signals from on-premise up to the cloud, for example. And then there's a whole slew of control and monitoring applications that fit around that. In Discovery's architecture, they actually have multiple regions. So in region one, which may be the US East, for example, they have main channels running GPU instances there. They'll have backup channels running in Ireland data center, for example. So they have geographic diversity. Two two colo facilities have 10 gig direct connects, connecting so they could lose a region, they could lose a colo or 10 gig direct connect and still get those signals down on ground to where they need to control and monitor them. And that's just a little bit of a deeper dive. Even within those regions, they have availability zones. So you have some channels in one availability zone, some other channels in a different availability zone. So even within the region where you have those GPU instances, you get redundancy and resilience there as well. Those signals are, signals are pulled back down through that 10 gig direct connect, which is in the middle, and goes from some switching and some redundancy kind of stuff to final emission satellite encoding up to the bird and everybody else who actually has a receiver can then get the signal. So that's kind of the architecture, where the GPUs are used, how they're handled from a redundancy and resiliency standpoint, and then final, emission to the end consumer. So I'm gonna pull up Jeremy here to actually talk through a little bit more detail in terms of what the signals are, where they are, how they flow, and what some of the user experience is like.
1: Okay, so um, I just wanted to take a few minutes to dive a little deeper into this architecture. So what we're looking at here is a kind of simplified view of um, what Dan was talking about just now. Uh, So one of the things he mentioned there was that we have this uh, 10 gigabit switching core that's on premise, that's on the left side of this uh, drawing. Um, And you can see that there are live feeds going into that and then they're making their way up, up into the cloud through the Direct Connect. That's the green line. The blue line is the uh, the, the streams returning from the Overtree units that are going back through that 10-gigabit uh, um, lossless uh, switching core that we have there. And that goes out then to the satellite for Uplink. Um, on the right-hand side, so in the cloud area there, we've got two sections, really, that we need to focus on. The Mediator X section, that's really those EC2 instances are in charge of the orchestration of the... Um, uh, the automation and uh, they provide the user interface to the operators that we 'll have a look at in a second and then there 's the pool of ec two instances that are actually driving those streams that you just saw in the video and we 'll dig into that in a, in a little while so we just to give you a bit of background we just have a quick look at um, what it kind of looks like in a control room in a broadcast facility so this is a photo that 's taken literally from the seat um, in the control room actually at discovery uh, so you can see at the bottom there's a couple of screens there, which are the, uh, the, the web views that have been delivered from that mediator system. And then in the, in the background is a monitor wall with all, where they're monitoring all of those feeds that are coming in. Uh, so if we just have a look at that uh, monitor wall there. And the way this has been arranged is so that they can see the feed that's coming from one region. So region one actually is uh, uh, North Virginia, and the region two then is uh, actually coming from Dublin. Um, and so those feeds are then coming across across the Atlantic and into that switching core. And then it, behind the scenes in there, we have some other Evert's gear that's actually making sure that those frames line up because you know, it takes a while to get stuff across the Atlantic. So if there's some kind of issue um, and you lose one of these feeds, it will be able to switch over reasonably seamlessly. Um, and the frames need to obviously line up so that we can do that. And this is just zooming in on the control interface that the operators have. So on this one, they're monitoring multiple channels simultaneously. Um, and then in this view, there's the detail uh, where each one of these rows in this list represents uh, an item that's going to air. Um, and if you squint, you might be able to see that there's, uh, some of these items are actually uh, include uh, reference to a graphic that we want to show. Uh, maybe there's a. Um, uh, uh, reference to a closed caption file we need to load, uh, that kind of thing. So this automation is driving all of that. So now if we drill into the overture, which is actually producing that stream, um, this is a challenging unit. Like, you know, Dan is just saying that there's a significant amount of um, competition for CPU time in this box. but the key point, actually, is the last bullet point on that list, is that this is a, a real-time application. We have to produce these frames, and we can't you know, buffer for a little while. That, that, you can't do that in live TV. So that's the most challenging thing, and that's the thing that really uh, you know, forces the architecture to be built the, the way that we've built it. And this is a very confusing slide, actually, showing the inner workings um, of what we call the pipeline inside the ORT. Uh, but actually around it, there's just an example of a, um, a bunch of components that this is made of that, it, uh, that, um, alongside the production of the video um, and the audio, and as you saw just now, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. So we're embedding captions. We're maybe uh, doing some Dolby encoding and decoding. We are maybe doing some aspect ratio converting. Uh, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. Uh, you know, embedding data, that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a whole lot of stuff that's Alongside everything else is competing for that CPU time in that instance. So, I've kind of simplified that pipeline so I can talk you through what's going on in there. Um, So, on the left, if we start on the left hand side, you'll see that we've got, as inputs into the pipeline, we've got um, a live feed. The live feed is um, broken out in the decode process into a primary video, and obviously, it's the audio to go alongside that. Mediator will, in the background, through the automation, is taking care of delivering any other files that are required uh, from S3 into the local EBS volume on the instance. So those are maybe, uh, in this case, maybe secondary videos, the actual graphic file itself, some text that maybe is dynamically added, uh, ancillary data that needs to be injected for downstream triggers. Um, All of these things all need to be read in and decoded, ready to pass to the next stage, which is the render stage. So at the point of rendering, we we're essentially we're assembling all of these building blocks together um, and uh, making each frame one by one. So you imagine if you're going through a, uh, just something simple like fading up a graphic over the top of the video, each frame you'll see you know, the next piece of fade, the next piece of fade, the next piece of fade, and you're going through and doing that in a uh, raw state. So it's in its uh, you know, raw YUV uh, state at that point in the rendering process now, if we are running this unit um, on-premise, not not in the cloud, if we're running this on-premise, which we can do with our gear, um, at that point, we might just treat that stream very slightly and then send it out through to the 10-gig core. But since we're running in the cloud, uh, sending a raw video stream would be extremely costly in terms of uh, egress. So we have to compress it to uh, deliver that back down. So what we do is um, we then go through this encoding stage, so we're taking those, that rendered uh, frame by frame, passing it through um, an encoding stage, and typically uh, that's uh, H.264, somewhere between 25, 50 megabits, something like that. Um, but we still can't quite yet get that down to the ground yet. We have to go through a final stage, which is um, a packet retransmission stage. And, and that's because you can lose through the AWS infrastructure, uh, down through the Direct Connect, down into the facility, that whole pathway, you could lose um, packets over the network. So there's a simple retransmission um, that has to take place. So if a packet's dropped, we can go and request it to be delivered again, and there's a bit of buffering there. So there's a lot going on, but we have to make sure that we pass one frame through here every 16 milliseconds, or between 16 and 32, depending on your frame rate. So what instance would I use to do that? Actually this is a handful of um instances that I chose that have a kind of the sweet spot of CPU that, that we look for uh to do this. And so you know looking at that list, I'd pick the C4.8, that's the cheapest. Um but you know, this is a talk about GPUs, so yeah, why have I got that there? Uh we 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 can't actually do the full range of effects and uh and the graphics with, without a GPU instance, but there are, there's a, we can go to a certain extent, let's say, you know, 80%. Um, so, using a C instance, actually we can run it on that to an extent, um, but we'll be maxing out that machine in terms of its CPU. Um, so, we actually um, looked at where we could bring in the GPU here. So, this, these two stages, the render stage and the encode stage, we can actually kind of offload all that processing into the GPU. So, um, and especially given the um, onboard encoding that Osman uh, was talking about for the H.264, there's a huge amount of CPU that we can offload there into the GPU at that point. So, it kind of looks like this. So, if, I, if I'm in my C4, I'm maxing that out. I'm using you know, up to about around about 90% of that instance's capability switch that workload onto a G3, um, and you can see now I'm able to make good use of the GPU in this instance, and my CPU load goes down dramatically. And what's interesting then is that I can actually run two sets of that pipeline that I showed you in the same instance. So now my cost is, um, overall cost, is somewhat interesting for per pipeline rather than per an instance cost. So you actually... I guess the, the point to leave you with is that um, you know, when you're evaluating your uh, cost efficiency um, when you're building out a system, you need to take into account all the factors, everything that's available in that instance. And you can actually see something that potentially was more expensive. In our case, um actually turned out to be the cheaper option overall. So that's that. Thank you.
0: Next up, um, I'll invite uh, David Benson, who's the CTO and co founder of Bebop Technologies, and along with him, uh, Patrick Yu, who's the VP of Post Production at Pop TV, to talk about remote application streaming.
3: I think I'm good. Are we good? Yep. How's everybody doing? Uh, how are we doing so far? Everybody good? All right. Um, so I'm Dave Benson, uh, Chief Technology Officer and co founder of Bebop Technology. Um, we're going to talk a little bit today uh, about the Bebop platform, uh, what Bebop technology is, where, why we started the company, uh, and most importantly, why we think uh, GPUs are so important. Um, how many people in this room, kind of going back to what Usman was saying a little bit earlier and probably a lot of what we've all heard uh, at different sessions, how many in this room have uh, moved certain workflows to the cloud at all? in terms of media processing. Good. So uh, as expected, most of us have probably looked at transcoding, rendering, most types of processing type of workflows uh, to move them into the cloud. Um, the genesis of why we started Bebop had a lot to do with trying to solve the uh, what we've viewed as, as kind of a last mile problem or challenge, where we could, and, and had been doing for many, many years, um, looking at how to move processing workflows, like we said. But then we all always were stuck with that problem of, okay, it's, it's rendered, it's transcoded, somebody needs to look at it, somebody needs to QC it, somebody needs to edit it, somebody needs to do something with it, right? And at that point, we're all faced with the same problem again, which is you gotta pull it all down. Um, so Bebop was really created uh, to try and address that problem and I'll give a quick shout out to our partners in the back here. Uh, we, we leverage Teradici very heavily, uh, the PC over IP protocol, uh, and, and the, the capabilities of the GPUs that are, are ubiquitously available inside of Amazon at this point to really make that core piece of what our platform is uh, a reality. And what that is, essentially, going back to the example I just used, is once you're transcoding, you're rendering, whatever your processing uh, step is complete is done, then what the Bebop platform allows you to do is have your editors, your visual effects artists, your QC uh, operators, log into a virtualized workstation using the PC over IP protocol, and do it in a way where you literally cannot tell the difference. Uh, and I say that very confidently as an engineer standing up at this podium. <laughs> uh, we've put this in front of many uh, editor, many A visual effects artists, uh, and we routinely do what I call the Bebop Pepsi challenge. Um, and so far to date, uh, every single one has passed. So that's a little uh, brief, brief uh, summary on kind of where we started, where we came from, um, and just finally to say that the, the company itself, um, myself included, uh, all of the senior executives in, in our company are all industry veterans, uh, people that have been in the post-production and, and production industry for a long, long time more decades than I care to, to admit. Um, and so the point is is that while we have a very strong technology background, very strong engineering background, um, everything we do is done with a, lot, a great deal of care and a great deal of understanding um, of what the post-production industry and the production, in, and production workflows really require uh, and a very intimate understanding um, of all of the nuance that goes into making these workflows go. So let's talk about Bebop workstations and the the Bebop platform a little bit. Um, So as you can see here, this is obviously a high-level diagram, but the Bebop platform really represents um, a a globally deployed platform. It exists in multiple regions around the world. Uh, As you can see up here, currently in US West and Northern California, uh, US East in Northern Virginia, uh, EU in in Dublin, uh, and in Sydney, Australia as well. Uh, most recently launched uh, this past summer. Um, inside of each one of those regions, uh, we have a fair amount of uh, what we just call platform infrastructure, or regional platform infrastructure. Those are things uh, to support the the GPU infrastructure, the workstation infrastructure that lives in each one of those regions. Uh, things like directory services, uh, licensing services for internal Bebop uh, componentry, as well as uh, licensing services for whatever applications might be running on those workstations, so that's your uh, avids, your adobes, your uh, nukes, your anything else that, that that anybody else runs on these, on these uh, workstations. Um, we have a, a client gateway service which provides the uh, secure access to the backend workstations themselves. So the workstations that you see in these diagrams are all running in uh, completely secured uh, private networks. None are deployed on any edge, uh, none, are, none are accessible by any public network, other than through the secure PC over IP protocol. Um, and so by, by creating this infrastructure in this way, what you end up with is very much a representation of what we're all used to having in our local facilities, uh, literally virtualized completely and moved into the cloud. And so when you combine that with things like what we just heard from our partners at Everts, you start to you start to realize the full end to end, as Usman said earlier, you know, the dream, so to speak, of once I put it in, I do all my processing, whatever processing that may be, I can do all of my editorial, my visual effects, my QC work, really anything, all the way through to where these guys pick it up and actually get it to back to the consumer. Um, so. As we said, uh, the workstations that we use, uh, we started Bebop two and a half or so years ago. We started out using the G2 uh, instances. We used the G2 uh, 2XLs, and I wish they had a 4XL, but uh, then the 8XLs. And we've uh, most recently uh, moved over to the G3 instance family, uh, as described. Um, We've been working with Amazon for many, 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 uh, I would say actually years at this point um, on this project uh, when it started in its infancy about two and a half years ago, uh, all the way to now, and uh, we're, we're very excited to, to be rolling out the, the G3 instance family uh, globally uh, throughout the Bebop platform, uh, I would say almost literally as we speak. Uh, we've been hard at work on finalizing all of the uh, certifications and things that we do internally, uh, and those, all, those processes are all coming to a completion um, in the coming weeks. So the G2, uh, the, excuse me, the G3s um, above and beyond the G2 family that we, that we used historically uh, provide a, a very significant um, uh, performance increase, uh, at least 2 to 3x uh, just overall and generally from the G2 family. Um, and uh, as I said, the PC over IP uh, remote desktop protocol is the piece that actually powers and allows you to access these workstations and remote control them uh, in a way that uh, that, provide, that does that in with very low or very, uh, I would say, n- not even noticeable latency. Uh, so that your artist or whoever the operator is can essentially go about their business and do their work without any impact on their on their workflow. Um, we, we have an internal joke at the company of Bebop that the only difference between a Bebop workstation and a normal workstation is how you turn it on. Um, essentially, once you get it t- turned on and you're logged in, It behaves exactly the same as any other workstation that would be sitting under your desk, um, just with a whole lot more power and a whole lot more flexibility. So, most people, uh, once I get to this point in this presentation, are thinking this. So I decided to just call it out and talk about it. (laughs) Um, Why shouldn't you do this yourself? So I chose the word shouldn't very carefully instead of couldn't because I believe that probably anyone in this room has the intelligence and wherewithal to do what we've done. Um, the reality is, though, is that to do what we've done uh, has taken two and a half plus years, but it's also taken eight to nine years of collective experience, both in the produce, post-production space and, more, most importantly, in the public cloud space. Um, so Bebop, as a company, is a combination of uh, what we call the platform side of our company, which is everything I've described, but it's also the combination of uh, a managed services business that is over eight and a half years old um, that was, uh, gave birth to Bebop essentially two and a half years ago and the two companies have been merged together. Um, so these two, these two disciplines uh, that in a, lot of, in a lot of ways are sometimes at odds with each other. Um, we've spent a lot of time, uh, a lot of headache, uh, a lot of banging heads against walls, um, to really wrangle wrangle the beasts, if you will, um, that exists inside of the public cloud environment, with uh, you know just raw and ubiquitous resource that's deployed globally for all of us to use. Um, but that on its own, uh, you know, as as I said, is is not doesn't get you all the way all the way across the finish line. And so the the things that that we add into the mix here um, really are again are that core cloud platform expertise. Um, security best practices, which is a is a very important point that I'll, I want to stop on for a minute. Um, deploying media workflows, uh, as all of us probably know, if we've if if you've been doing this for any amount of time, security is of the utmost importance, uh, obviously. And security, there's a there's a, there's a balance between security and usability that all of us wrestle with every day. Um, so. Going back to the point I was making a second ago, in terms of cloud expertise combined with post production expertise, what we have worked very hard on the last two and a half years, as we've as we've built this platform, is building it in a way, step by step, um, with uh, while taking all of the security best practices, uh, some that that me myself and my team have been involved in developing over the years, um, implementing and really kind of intimately understanding those best practices, trying to push the envelope wherever we can to actually create new best practices, uh, work with industry standard groups like the MPAA, uh, like uh, ISC is an organization that works with a lot of the, the uh, MPA studios, um, and constantly being in contact with these groups and being present in, in all of these security working groups uh, within, the, within the industry. Um, so with all of that, we, combined with AWS, are implementing all these best practices in the Bebop platform really on a, on a day-by-day basis. So we, uh, as I said, we, we have a very strong engineering and software development um, background and practice. And so the, the way that we are, are essentially releasing content, the way that we're releasing uh, new code, new features... Uh, is done with a great great amount of, of rigor in terms of the software development best practices, the release best practices, uh, as well as all the security best practices that are implemented in the platform. So, with that, um, I'd like to introduce Patrick Yu. Patrick is the VP of technology, uh, excuse me, of post production for one of our customers, Pop TV, uh, and Patrick's going to talk a little bit about
4: uh, his experience with Bebop. Hi. Good afternoon. So just a little bit of pop TV. We're a cable TV network, and we're distributed in 80 million homes, and um, through regular linear stuff as well as OTT. So we have YouTube TV, Direct Direct TV Now, all those kind of platforms. But we are a small company. Um, so I have like 10 at bays in my place, and they're all packed. And the problem I have is the creative services team is getting bigger. We're trying to grow, and market these different shows we have. And they'll come to me and say, hey, do we have extra bays? I need two extra things. We have this project coming up. And they'll let me know, usually a couple days ahead. And so my challenge is, on a good day. Yeah, on a good day. (laughs) My challenge is, um, my facility's full, because it's small. I can't build a lot of excess capacity. So how do I get extra bays on demand to fulfill the client's request? And so that was my challenge. And um, so I looked around for different things. The obvious way you used to do that is go rent a different place, different facility. Then you had to move the media from my facility over. And traditionally, it's just portable hard drives, you know, Firewire 800s for a while. Um, now we have Thunderbolt, but still it's slow. Um, it's hard to anticipate. The, so what I'm doing now is, um, well actually, then I uh, found Bebop, and um, Bebop, offered an ability to get an edit bay on demand wherever and get an internet connection. The computer can be lightweight. Very lightweight. Um, I mean, just lightweight and a, a broadband is what you need. So if you have that broadband, we can edit. And uh, at our place, we use or basically the Adobe Shop. And um, Adobe integrates well in the AWS. They can spin up the VM. And with the G, uh, GPU, there's plenty of power to get that done. And so we upload our files there, and they're just sitting there waiting um, on-demand. So I have a few clients that I have. I can um, shove up some um, material and just be standing by. So when that need comes, I can on-demand bring that up. So that's what we're working with right now. So, Patrick,
3: once we... Uh, you talked about some of the pain points that, that, we, de- that we dealt with. Um, once we put the, the single workstation in place, which was the initial, uh, yeah. initial pain point or use case, if you will... Um, talk a little bit about kind of the experience after that. What happened after that, and, and kind of where we've gone since then.
4: Yeah, let me backtrack a little bit and Please. talk about the experience with that one thing. So, editors are very finicky. They're artists. They're not technical folks. So basically, if you put the computer in front of them and it works, then you're fine. But if anything goes wrong or is slightly off from what they're used to, they'll say this is junk. You got to throw it away. So I picked one editor that I had. Um, that could be maybe a little bit more tolerant of some pain. And so let's try this out. We're going to have you work from home. If like that, because there's no commute. Uh, log in, we'll put the media up there, and give it a shot. And um, he was expecting a lot of pain. And um, his feedback so far has been, uh, where's the pain?
2: Because the it, only well, thing. i have to the, come back to
4: work. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest problem for him is actually, we use Macs in-house, and the VMs are Windows. So you just got to change that platform. But, Within a couple of days, that's fine. Um, So that's not even the remote uh, scenario, right? It's not an Amazon cloud versus on-prem. It's just a platform change. But once you get over that platform change, the technology here just is seamless. And so that was really, I mean, it it was astounding, really. Mm -hmm. So with that, that POC was done, and now we're putting it in production. So it's one editor is very happy, works from home four days a week. He comes in once a week to uh, have meetings, meet with his producer, and see how things are going. And then, So how has that,
3: that, that workflow changed in, from before and after Prevon?
4: It's been nice. The, um, the Bay is pretty much freed up at all times. So when the creative services wants to do a color correction or any other kind of on-demand thing, I have it available. So it's been times where they ask in the morning, hey, is that Bay available this afternoon? <laughs> it's like, yes, it is. <laughs> um, so that's been good. So the whole test has been worked out really well. And so he brought up the point of what's next. And um, my office is literally in the tsunami evacuation zone. So I kind of need a DR situation. And so what I'm thinking about doing is replicating my tier one storage in the cloud so that if something happens to my facility, like I say, everyone go home. Come to Venetian, I'll get some IMAX, and we can add it from here. Or anywhere that might have some uh, bandwidth. So they can do it from home, they can go to their parents' place, wherever they might be, to get a ticket to New York or anywhere, and um, they can start editing. And so that's what I'm exploring. Um, and the reasons are because with just a little bit of training to get them used to a Windows platform um, and be able to log in, and that's all we need. Right. So Adobe um, Premiere, Bebop, Teradici just makes it super quick um, and seamless, and then uh, the upload capabilities and uh, going from there. Right. So I'm excited to uh, try that a DR scenario.
3: Right, so I think just to hit a couple of points here, so going back to uh, what I was saying earlier about uh, Bebop as a company, the platform side and the uh, managed services side what we what we've been able to achieve with uh, with Patrick and with Pop, um, again, because of this foundation uh, that the GPUs and the, and the infrastructure that Amazon provides gives us as BeBob, we've been able to to really start with a, a very very limited, uh, you know, specific pain point uh, that that Pop and, and Patrick came to us with, um, start there, fix that, you know, relieve that pain, and then really just be collaborative with them uh, as we moved forward and as they started exploring and seeing new possibilities of things that can be done, uh, we've been able to work together with them and very, very quickly uh, kind of iterate on, on the core solution, add new solutions for them uh, as they needed them. Uh, and I'll talk very briefly about some of these things. Um, Patrick mentioned DR. Uh, one of the things about Bebop that, that most folks will, will realize uh, just in the course of talking about it uh, but just to, to, to kind of hit it on the nose here, is that because we're, Bebop is a, a virtual desktop and it's a virtual infrastructure that's deployed separate from your facility or your on-prem environment, it, by definition, is inherently a DR solution. Um, and if anybody in the room has ever managed, ever worked with, or been around editorial facilities, we know there's really no such thing as a DR solution for an editorial facility because it's cost prohibitive. Um, If anybody has seen one of those, please let me know, because I'd like to see it. Um, And so with Bebop, you get that automatically. Um, The second thing, or the piece in the middle, uh, is a technology that we built, uh, again, leveraging the GPUs uh, and the core workstation platform that we just call OTS, uh, which stands for over-the-shoulder. So OTS is basically a service that is built uh, and tightly integrated into the core workstation platform. Um, where you can essentially uh, use it to, to provide a remote view of the editor's workspace in a completely secure and closed-circuit manner because it's completely built and owned by Bebop. So what that allows you to do is, again, leveraging PC over IP for both ends of it uh, to maintain that security uh, kind of blanket, if you will, within the Bebop environment. You have your primary editor that's logged into a workstation. They're doing their editorial or visual effects work or whatever, whatever they need to do and they can securely uh, invite another director, producer, whoever's doing reviewing into that secure session using a second PC over IP uh, session um, so that that can be done in a simultaneous way uh, and that review and approval process can work, right? Um, And then the final thing over here uh, we call Bebop Rocket, which is a secure transport protocol that we built. Um, and we use this as the primary ingest mechanism to get content into Bebop and then to move content around within Amazon from, ba- from Amazon S3 uh, to our high-speed editorial storage and then back to S3 as a full round-trip workflow. Oops, excuse me. And that is our presentation. I think we have a little time for questions. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you.
0: So uh, thank you, David. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Patrick. So at this point, we'll take um, questions. So if you guys have any questions, um, we'll kind of everybody comes on the stage, and (laughs) you could ask any questions at this point. We have about, say, six and a half, some minutes. Go ahead.
3: Actually, that, that's the beauty of uh, this. The, the oh, I'm sorry. The, I, I, I think I heard you correctly. The, the question was: Did we have we had any challenges um, moving the larger content over the PC over IP tunnel? Correct? Okay, well, yeah, on,
2: like,
3: no. Uh, we uh, we have not seen any any issues or any artifacts. Again, that's what it, what I refer to as the the, the Pepsi challenge uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, we, we've done a lot of, you know, what I would say, kind of empirical testing, but we've also uh, I would, we've put a lot more emphasis and focus on subjective testing uh, of editors and artists and, and people sitting in front of the workstations, which we've had great success with.
0: There's a question. Yep.
2: Absolutely.
3: Uh, so my biased answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> um, I will, you know, we will, uh, we will caution users uh, with some of the realities around PC over IP right now um, in terms of the stream being an 8-bit stream. Um, so when you get to the Very uh, ending, finishing, final color decisions uh, type, of, you know, place in that overall life cycle. Um, depending on the the customer, depending on the workflow, it, it is very subjective at that point. But we will be, we're as I said, we're all from post production and production. So we will, we the collective, we at Bebop, will never advise a customer to, you know, go, you know, stand out on a limb uh, if it's not something that we would do ourselves. Right, so, in terms of a full replacement end to end for editorial offline even online right because that's the that's the other benefit here is that these workstations are are highly highly powerful they're they're typically much more powerful than than even some of the higher end stuff that is in an on-prem environment um and because of that, you don't necessarily need to create you don't need to use the same proxy workflow that we're all used to uh, and so a lot of things. I've been saying a lot lately. A lot of stuff that we're used to is just better on Bebop um, because you don't have to make proxies. You don't have to do a lot of things that you normally would have to do. Um, so that's what that's that's a long-winded answer.
4: <laughs> a just a quick note on that too is: uh, Can the Bebop solution replace an edit bay? Um, our testing has gone so so well that um, my boss has asked if we had to move and build a new facility, do I have to have as many edit bays? Can build less and just have editors rotate through just to have some face time with people. And um, my answer so far is, I think we can do that. It's quite, quite easy to do. Um, one other thing that we like is, because of the GPU and the power of that um, instance available on, a- on Amazon, that we can put um, high-end video up there. So if you throw a ProRes uh, 4x4, it's not an issue. The uh, playback's there.
3: Uh, no. We, we primarily focus in entertainment because of our background. Um, having said that, we do service other market verticals. Uh, specifically, uh, we have some services in the, the medical technology space right now. Energy? Medical and technology. How about energy? Uh, not yet, but I'd love to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> uh, only Premiere? No Avid? And uh, We support a whole host of things. I'll come see you afterwards, yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, uh, thank you for the time. we we'll are still hang out here for a few minutes, and if you have any questions, come right, on.